Welcome to Deep Look, Ulti World's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor of Ulti World, Charlie Eisenhood. Today, joined by Keith Rayner, Ulti World's senior editor, college content coordinator. That's a nice title, Keith. I, I appreciate that. I mean, you gave it to me, so. Yeah, nice job, Charlie. I have some bad news for you, though, Keith. Regionals weekend number one. It's in the books. Very exciting. But we are down one to Sin the Fields after Iowa State did not come through for us in the North Central Women's Division. Carlton blasted everybody and crushed their way to a title in the North Central. So we are down one with essentially two games to go, two regions to go coming up this weekend. Are you feeling nervous? Yeah, uh, it, there's just not a lot of margin for error with uh, such a small number of differences between the two sets of picks, and this feels awfully familiar to not picking the favorite last year, which was Dartmouth, and I certainly don't want to lose to those guys again by making the same mistake. Uh, we still have plenty of routes to victory. Uh, I think the AC is going to be up in the air and anything could happen, but I think we both feel pretty good about our South Central pick. And some of the tiebreakers, I haven't gone in and analyzed them, but uh, things are are not so bad on that front because I know we won some of them and lost some of those. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only scenario in which a tiebreaker comes into play is if, really, I, I, I doubt that a team other than Texas or Texas A&M qualifies out of the South Central. Just a reminder for those who maybe didn't listen last week or are unsure, uh, we picked Texas to advance in the men's division of the South Central. Sin the Fields picked Texas A&M. Uh, but, uh, so assuming that hopefully that breaks our way and, and Texas qualifies, theoretically very possible that in the AC, neither our pick, NC State, nor their pick, Virginia Tech, qualifies. Because there's enough good teams in the AC and with that last bid, you never know. Uh, that So we could end up in a tiebreaker scenario. Although, if, of course, both one of those two teams advances, as well as in the South Central, then you know, since there's three, got an odd number, so we're guaranteed to have a clear victor. Um, I'm hoping that that victor is us. I think I definitely feel good about Texas, and I really think NC State should be considered the favorite heading into to take that last bid in the AC heading into this weekend. So I feel good. Um, I wish we had just picked Carlton, but, you know, it is what it is. We move on to this weekend. Yeah, I, I, regrets, you know, can't, can't spend too much time looking backwards. <laughs> but uh, here's, here's hoping that, that things go our way this weekend. And we'll be talking a little bit more about what we expect from the weekend uh, later on in the pod. Yes, we will. First, we're going to talk a bit about what happened this past weekend. Not going to get into it too much. Plenty already known. And, and for the most part, not a lot of surprises this weekend. So we didn't have any what I would consider to be substantial upsets. Uh, I think the biggest surprise, perhaps, is Connecticut qualifying in the women's division out of the Metro East. Uh, but that's not necessarily super shocking, considering the Metro East. Uh, but it's a, a, a nice run the table for UConn in both divisions. And uh, so I'll just run through the qualifiers from last weekend pretty quickly here. In the women's division, Connecticut qualifies out of the Metro East, Carleton out of the North Central. UBC takes the top spot in the Northwest with Oregon qualifying second. Whitman made it interesting, but they could not 
close the deal on Sunday. Pittsburgh gets the top spot out of the Ohio Valley. Ohio State, the number two team. And then in the Southwest, the bid-rich Southwest, Stanford, UCLA, California. And then maybe the other surprise, UC San Diego beats out USC for the last spot. Again, UCSD, a good team, not a shocking upset, but I think a a bit of a disappointing weekend if you're a USC fan because they really looked like they had the tools to go to nationals. And, uh, you know, you can go check out the recap and see a little bit about what happened there on UltiWorld. In the men's division, Connecticut is your Metro East champion. No surprise there. Minnesota beat Carlton in a very close game, double game point situation. I was at that game. We could talk a little bit more about that if you want, Keith. Uh, Wisconsin, after losing to Iowa State on Saturday and dropping themselves into the backdoor bracket before Sunday had even began, they were able to really just crush everybody on Sunday and make their very little drama. I, I actually left to go to the airport to catch a standby flight because they were crushing so badly in the in the game to go. And I said, there is no reason for me to wait around here to watch them just cruise to this win. Um, so then uh, in the Northwest, you've got the four bids. Washington beats Oregon for, I believe, the first time ever, or certainly in a really, really long time. Washington over Oregon to win the region. Khalif El Salam went berserk and just absolutely dominated in that game. Uh, Oregon ended up taking the second spot. UBC third. Oregon State, your final qualifier. We called that one, Keith. We did. Unfortunately, so did the guys over at Sin the Fields. Pittsburgh, your easy qualifier out of the Ohio Valley. And then, not without a little bit of drama, but Stanford and Cal Poly Slow took care of business and took the two bids out of the Southwest with Stanford winning very convincingly. Stanford is the real deal. I think Stanford low-key, a pretty dangerous team at Nationals. If they're healthy, I like their team. They've been through some ups and downs this season, but they have a really good defense, and they've shown that, you know, Elliot Chardock, one of the best center handlers in the country right now, I actually think Stanford could do some damage at Nationals. Uh, we don't want to get too much into looking ahead to Nationals yet, with more regionals coming up this weekend, but all in all, a pretty chalk weekend, uh, especially in the men's division at the uh, regional championships last weekend. Yeah, we, uh, Bama Sex tweeted uh, the list of uh, number one seeds who didn't qualify for nationals from both D1 and D3, and it was only four teams, and none of those were D1 men's teams, so definitely the men's side, a lot of chalk. Uh, the other teams were 1D3 men's team, Middlebury, and two women's D1 teams, Cornell and Iowa State, and uh, Oberlin out of the Ohio Valley D3 women's team also failed to qualify. So yeah, quick quick things. Uh, I was at the North Central Regionals on Sunday. I didn't really get a chance to watch any of the action on Saturday, so I missed the Ohio, uh, the Iowa State upset over Wisconsin, but... Talking to those who were involved, sounds like really just Wisconsin was super flat and Iowa State played a great game. I'm sure they wish they'd saved it for Sunday. Uh, they didn't have, they didn't really put up much of a fight. I think they were just too tired at that point, and Wisconsin was was not going to let the same thing happen twice. Uh, but I did, I watched the entire final. Carlton was in control for a lot of that game, 
Um, but Minnesota played very well, and actually I thought outplayed Carlton in the first half, but didn't really have a lot to show for it. Um, and the game ended up getting real bogged down in the second half. It was pretty windy. And just, you know, some good play from both sides. Saul Yannick wasn't playing for Carlton. Pretty notable absence from him. Uh, Natan Lee Engel was also hurt. Team seems to be injured a lot. Um, <laughs> and they continued to be a little bit injured at regionals. Of course, that game didn't really mean anything because both teams had already qualified for nationals. That said, I was expecting that they might not play super hard, but that was not the case. They played very hard, and both teams were clearly looking to win. Um, really, the most notable thing that happened to me for, for me in that game was that the final point was crazy long, like 15, 20 minutes with two timeouts, and ultimately it became double game point at the you know, sort of at the end of the point. And uh, the thing is, at the very beginning of that point, Carlton got a break chance and got a got a short field turnover going into the upwind end zone, and they threw a pass in the end zone, which was clearly caught for a goal. And Minnesota called it down. Really, a terrible call. Uh, I was at the other. I was in the other end zone, and it was clearly up from where I was standing. And even the Minnesota players and parents on the sideline were kind of avoiding eye contact at that point because it was not a good call. Carlton ended up having to take a do-over. They turned it over on the do-over, and then the point went on forever and ever. Um, and ultimately, Minnesota held down wind to win once it was effectively double-game point. Uh, a very even match, two very good teams, no one's going to want to play those teams at Nationals. I think the most interesting things, just from a gameplay perspective, Minnesota had Ben Yacht playing on the D-line. And they sent Sam Bumstead onto the O-line. An interesting move because Sam Bumstead, normally they're puller and a very good defensive player. And, of course, Ben Yacht is, has been the offense for that team for you know two or three seasons now. And... I actually think they liked what they saw, and I could see why. Ben Yacht gave him a lot of punch on the turnover. He's a good defender, maybe not a, a quote-unquote elite defender, but you know he's going to challenge everything deep, obviously, and he's got good instincts um, and really just gives them a, a big tool after the turnover to punch in breaks. And Sam Bumstead, so consistent. Really just a great player. It's his last season on the team. He's running out of eligibility this year. Uh, and I, I would not be surprised. They did it out of necessity because they were missing a couple players. And so they needed uh, an extra handler type on the O-line. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them either stick with it or try it again at Nationals because it really worked. And Yacht at times has bogged their offense down this year by kind of being stuck in the middle he doesn't have the same ability to stretch the field like he did last year when Ryan Osgar was coming underneath as the, you know, sort of a one cutter and then sending big hucks to yacht who was sort of stretching deep this year. They don't have that same player to operate underneath. And I think it's really hurt their offense. Putting Bumstead out there gives them a, another really talented player with the disc and it lets yacht go just be a, run deep and huck a to me guy on defense. Um, as for Carlton, just a, a solid, super, super solid team. 
they played really, really well up until the final. They lost Saul Yannick for the final. I'm sure that if it was an elimination game, he would have played. Um, and I think that clearly hurt their offense a little bit, especially in the wind, because he was so good in, to that point. And I thought Dylan Lanier, the rookie for them out of Carolina Friends School, was very good. Um, you know, he's somebody who's got a chance to play into the rookie of the year conversation at Nationals. I, you know, we knew coming into this year that he was going to be a, a top, top player, but I'm not sure that he's at all times kind of been that impact player that you really need to be to win that award. But with Yannick stepping out of the game, he had to do a lot in the backfield in that final, and I thought he handled his role very well. And I could see him getting a lot of touches at Nationals and, and really being a key piece for them. They had their chances in that game. They really probably should have won the game. And uh, I think if I saw those teams match up again at Nationals, I would probably think Carlton would be maybe a two-point favorite. So uh, Carlton, a team that I still really like. I think both of those teams, and maybe even Wisconsin, have a realistic path to the semifinals. Pretty interesting tournament. Well, it's because the teams are really good, and I think that says a lot of of the North Central because it was a typical North Central regionals when it came to the conditions. Was oh, it yes. Not? Oh, yes. It was a little less awful than I expected, but maybe that's just because I was really well prepared. I was wearing basically ski gear, uh, including a waterproof, heavy winter coat. It was about 40 degrees and raining most of the day and pretty windy. It was cold. It was, it was definitely not pleasant. I was glad not to be playing Ultimate and instead drinking coffee on the sideline. Well, it's, I imagine that also could have informed some of those Minnesota personnel changes that you were talking about. It wouldn't surprise me if you know, they were playing a lot of zone and that made someone like having someone like Ben Yacht even better than usual or if it having an extra thrower on your O-line helped out. So it uh, could be a conditional thing that we will see them potentially repeat if, uh, if the situation calls for it in Nationals. Yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised. I think we've seen some inconsistency from the offense from Minnesota this year, unlike last year when it was unbelievable. And part of the problem seems to be that Ben Yacht hasn't really found a place to be on the field. A lot of times you see him coming back around the disc. He's not really getting that same release into the deep spaces effectively. I think that's partly because teams game plan for him a lot more now. But I think it's also just a personnel issue. They don't have the same offensive line as they did last year. So moving him off of that line, they still have plenty of speed and throwing ability on the line. Do they necessarily need to have the big body? That's not necessarily clear to me. And Yacht does offer a lot on defense. So we'll we'll see what they do at Nationals. Anything else jump out of you from North Central Regionals? Honestly, no. I I really was hoping for an exciting game to go, but Wisconsin got up a upwind break early. They made a downwind break. I think they got another upwind break, maybe the following point after that, and it was shut it down time. I I mean, I don't know that Iowa State ever really believed that they could win the game at that point. So it was um, not a particularly interesting final round. I think it was clear exactly what we expected the top three teams in that region just way better than everyone else. Both Iowa and Iowa State and Luther also had some some really nice individual players, but they just simply didn't have the depth and the talent 
down the roster to be able to consistently compete with those big teams. So the semifinals, for example, uh, Minnesota versus Iowa State and Carleton versus Iowa were laughers. It was like 15-5. So uh, there's just there was no – and of course those were both games to go. So it's not like those teams didn't have something to play for. They just – they didn't have the, the tools, especially in the wind, to beat those teams. Uh, that's kind of what, what we expected. Uh, you know, These are three teams that, like you said, you wouldn't be surprised to see any of them or multiple of them go deep at nationals. And we just haven't seen that level of play from anybody else in the North Central. Well, I was asking some people on the sideline, and I'll ask you now, over under 1.5 North Central teams in the semifinals at nationals this year. I'm going to take the under, but not feel good about it. <laughs> think about that at home. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty even money bet. I, I think that it's very realistic depending on how the bracket shakes out that two of those three teams could make it to the semis. I think it's very possible. Uh, they're good. They're very good. Carlton particularly looks like they have a very high ceiling. Not that that's a surprise. We could say that every year. But I really liked what I saw, especially when they were playing at full strength, or, or at least almost full strength. And, you know, it's despite missing their center handler on offense, they still lost by one in a game that was tipped maybe on a bad call by the other team in the final. So that kind of shows you where Carlton's at in terms of what they can do. Uh, I think the question for them will be, can they generate generate enough pressure against top teams and punch in breaks because if they can do those two things they're gonna they're gonna have a chance to win the tournament so anything else keith anything else you want to talk about from this past weekend i mean i know you were not at any of these tournaments and there's not a whole lot of surprising stuff here but uh, any other notes from regional regionals weekend number one I mean, I, I know I was I had stumped pretty hard for Cornell women's in the Metro East, and I gotta say I'm disappointed to have been uh, apparently off base. I mean, they made it to the final, they looked good, but uh, UConn is one of the only teams to qualify for their first ever college championships, along with Oregon State in Division One. So, uh, congratulations to them. I think I always think that's exciting, and D three looks like. The kind of shootout we expect from uh, from D three, uh, they had the lowest seed I think in any any tournament to qualify this weekend was a six seed, uh, which was Lehigh out of Ohio Valley D three women. So uh, yeah, you know, looking forward to another weekend and hopefully going to get some more surprises. But certainly there's drama along the way, and Nationals is shaping up to be pretty exciting. It's already hard to figure out who to pick for what. No kidding. I, I'm looking forward to sitting down and doing my predicted seedings. It's always an enjoyable exercise every year. So after this weekend, we'll be able to do that. Um, before we get to next weekend's regionals, just want to talk about a couple of other quick notes. Let's just take a little look inside the AUDL. You know, we're at the like quarter point of the season, basically a little bit past. And we're starting to get a sense of who these teams are and what the interesting stories are. A couple things that I want to throw out there. First of all, the San Jose Spiders, everybody was writing their obituary before the season. And I think for totally fair reasons. They lost 
basically their 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 core of their team. It their roster looked nothing like the team that won the title back to back seasons, and they just were a, a shell of the team just up the road in San Francisco. The flamethrowers who were just essentially the revolver roster plus friends. And this San Jose Spiders team, I think it was easy a couple weeks back when they beat the Flamethrowers. So their first meeting, they lost the Flamethrowers. Their second meeting, they beat them. I think it was easy to say, oh, it was a fluke. You know, San Francisco wasn't in, didn't bring their A game that day. But since then, the team has gone on to be undefeated against the rest of the division. They beat Seattle on the road. They won back-to-back games at Seattle and Vancouver, and they've looked good doing it. And I think a lot of that is predicated on the performance of their offensive line, particularly the play of Justin Norton, who's been unbelievable. And just if you check out the AUDL throwaround this week on the site, uh, you'll see the case made for currently Justin Norton playing as the MVP of the league. And I don't think a lot of people saw that coming, but he has been great throwing. This week, he was effective as a cutter, especially going deep and just not making mistakes and dominating on the larger field of the AUDL. Pretty crazy to see how good they look right now. And they're 4-1, and one, and they're tied for the top of the uh, West Division. Yeah, and Jim Norton has really been going off, enough to be getting some attention and I think that that says a lot about about his level of play and I, I know I he wasn't on my radar as you know one of the guys to come into the season to watch but certainly has played his way into the conversation pretty undoubtedly at this point one of the other big stories I think is that the level of balance at least in some of the divisions is starting to get to the point where games are not a foregone conclusion I think that's a pretty good thing. First of all, if you look at the East, every every team in the division has at least one loss. You see Montreal beats Toronto this past week. New York has looked good, although they lost to Toronto. DC crushes Toronto, and uh, then they take the loss to Raleigh in the cross-conference game last week. So the, DC still undefeated against the East, but they have a huge test game this weekend that's going to be broadcast by UltiWorld on AUDL Extra. D.C. playing New York in Washington. And this is the first time those two teams will meet. So that'll be pretty exciting. But you don't have any bottom feeder teams anymore where it's just like you know that the game is decided. And that's that's really a, a compelling storyline. And look at Toronto. They're only one and two. It's the that's team that was the one favorite of the coming biggest They're one and two. I agree. Yeah, I mean, they basically never lose during the regular season. And they, they lost to another one of the Canadian teams in the East, didn't they? Well, they've lost to D.C., and then they lost to Montreal this weekend. And for whatever reason, Montreal just seems to conjure up the magic when they play Toronto. And they, I, I, I have to look up their lifetime record because they're like 500 against Toronto. And that makes no sense because Toronto dominates these other teams that are uncategorically more talented than Montreal. But Montreal just seems to uh, maybe they just know the team well. They get they get up for the big game. Toronto maybe struggles playing against Montreal a little bit. You you come up with your reason, but that's a that's a team that's been a thorn in Toronto's side. 
And uh, the only I will say there are a couple teams I think Charlie you've been a little bit of punching bags. I've ooh those National Night Watch scores have been rough to rough. look at. Yeah, well we, <laughs> they're we are... a minus forty nine <laughs> so far this year. Yeah, I mean, and the South Division is probably the one where you have the biggest difference between the best and the worst teams in the division. Agreed. Because here's the thing: the Dallas Roughnecks are still too good. I think they are too good. I think they're maybe not as good as they were last year, but that was in a year when they just absolutely crushed everybody. I mean, the, the Dallas Roughnecks have not lost a game in the AUDL yet. And I know. It's exciting when they're like trailing at halftime. Like that's enough. Yeah. It's like live looking, Dallas down a break in the first quarter. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, we got to get excited about something, I guess. But, you know, their their plus minus or their, you know, the point differential is 49. The next best team in the league has a point differential of 17 and that's San Francisco. So, yikes. Uh part of that is because they get to play a lot against Austin and they haven't really had to make tough road trips yet. Although they did this weekend and they won. Um but they'll have a big test coming up next weekend against Raleigh at Raleigh and that'll be a that'll be a game to watch. I think one of the better games on the calendar this year, this regular season, because can Dallas sustain their high level of play against Raleigh when they're on the road and Raleigh's at, got their best roster out there? They dis- Dallas destroyed Raleigh when Raleigh was playing the second game of back-to-back a few weeks ago, and it was not even competitive. So we'll see if Raleigh can make it interesting. If Raleigh cannot make it interesting against Dallas at home, with Dallas on the road and with you know the full everybody's focusing on that game if Raleigh can't win that game you know the there's a problem with how talented the Roughnecks are that's really how i see it cuz if you have a team that's just way too good and like automatically just destroys everybody is it really that interesting and i think it's uh, at least a question to ask the other thing is though the midwest division more competitive now. Minnesota beat Madison this weekend. Madison didn't necessarily have their best roster out there, but still, Minnesota looks like a team that's going to be competitive, whereas Madison has, in the past, just been the Dallas Roughnecks of the Midwest and destroyed everybody. So now we have an actual competition in the Midwest. You've got Minnesota and Pittsburgh at 2-0. and Madison's 1-1. and And things could be interesting in the Midwest this year. So all in all, uh, uh, an interesting season so far. Any other storylines stand out to you, Keith? I wouldn't say so. I mean, I, I, the you know the Roughnecks is a topic that we've we've talked about before, and I saw that they had played a close game with the Hustle the other day, and that's my hometown team. I, I was interested in to see that, and then to find out it was in part because they were missing like their three top guys. Just felt like you know par for the course, the kind of gut punch you get. So, uh, are they too talented? I'm sure. If they go undefeated this year and win the championship again, we'll have to sit down and talk about it. Yeah, I, I agree. We'll we'll see though. I mean, Dallas has some tests. They got to play at Raleigh. They got to play at Madison in a cross conference game. There's it's not going to be total layups, and I actually expect that we'll see every team in the league this year lose at least once. I think the only undefeated teams left have basically not played very many games yet: Pittsburgh, Minnesota. And uh, then Dallas at five and zero, 
but uh, their toughest challenges are still in front of them. Be curious to see. Curious to see. All right. Another quick little stop before we get to next weekend's college regionals. Team USA, the mixed uh, mixed World Games team, playing at a essentially a warm-up tournament for the World Games this summer, TEP down in Colombia. They lost in the final to Team Colombia 14-13. What do you make of that, Keith? I want to not be overreactive, <laughs> but in this – World Games team is the heavy favorite, and I believe the last time they played at uh, in Colombia, they were pretty dominant. And uh, am I concerned about their ability to win the World Games? No, but I was definitely surprised to hear that they uh, had struggled at, at the tournament itself. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we could say they struggled at the tournament, but they did lose to Colombia. Clearly, the second best team there, and you know this Colombia team. Every year they get better. And one of the things that I've seen a little chatter about is that, unfortunately, they're not able often to bring their entire top roster to the World Games just because of the expense of the tournament. So it'll be something to watch. Can they replicate this performance this summer? Or is it going to be tougher for them when they're not playing on their our home turf? But regardless, you know, Team USA as just a an, an entity at the club level, the high level, has not lost a game in a long time. I mean, the, the three teams went undefeated at Worlds this past summer, and now you've got this World Games team that has got the most fearsome players from the country on it, and they lost to Columbia. I, I think that's pretty surprising, and it's not like they didn't, try or that was the not you know it was just a fun tournament i mean if you watch video of the final point they were all out to try to get the block and get the disc and 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 not lose that game and they didn't and columbia to their credit held up very well against the usa pressure i agree with you keith i don't necessarily think this means that usa is susceptible to losing at the world games But I do think that it shows that there's still some kinks to be worked out and they have work to do because last year they destroyed everybody at this tournament or four years ago. So, I mean, would this change your odds if you had to put if you had to put money on it? Would this change? Do you think the Vegas line has moved? I think the Vegas line has to move. I think USA is still clearly the favorite, but I think that you're going to pay a little bit less now to get the ticket for them. Uh, because I think that, you know, how many data points do you get leading up to a tournament like the World Games? Seeing them lose when they've got their full team kind of tells you something, right? It's, they're, they're, not, they're not unbeatable. It, it often, I often wonder about how predictive a single game result is in Ultimate versus other sports. Uh, and this is just another case where it's kind of like, I wonder what this means. Uh, how much can we say about one game? Well, I guess we'll find out at the World Games. And, uh, unfortunately, we don't get a lot of other tests before then. But congratulations to, Congl- to Columbia. I mean, that first and foremost, that's a, a hang-your-hat-on-it kind of win that has to give you a lot of confidence heading into that tournament. No doubt. All right, Keith, it's time 
We're going to talk regionals coming up next. So get ready. Get your ballots out. We've already made our picks, but we're going to talk a little bit more about these upcoming tournaments. We've got the Atlantic Coast, the Great Lakes, New England, Southeast, and the South Central. Five regions coming up, men's and women's. We're going to talk about all of that. Coming up next, you're listening to Deep Look. Welcome back to Deep Look. It's time to talk about this weekend's upcoming college regional tournaments. Keith, we're going to start in the Atlantic Coast, and we're going to start in the women's division. Tell us what we need to know. Three bids, a very exciting third bids for sure. We don't really know who the favorite to take that bid is, and uh, it should be an exciting tournament. Of course, the, a lot of the attention is going to center on what's going to happen in this third bid. Uh, now, I think the assumption here is that Virginia and UNC are, are ahead above all the other teams and that the third bid is where someone's going to end up. Uh, Virginia's obviously been one of the best teams in the country. They were looked really, really good at Northwest Challenge, and they certainly have the program history. They've won the AC uh, for five straight years. So it's no surprise to say that they're the favorite. And they have barely even played a close final in that time. But uh, North Carolina was the first team out last year, and they've been the first team out and the finalist in four of those five years that Virginia has gone. So uh, it is no surprise that they're really the second favorite team. I mean, I remember last year talking about this North Carolina team, or this earlier this year, North Carolina has been to the game to go in eight of the past nine years they've lost in the finals of, of the Atlanta coast. That's a, that's a rough, rough gig. Uh, so maybe this is the year they get over the hump. I, I would say they're the dogs, but uh, they're a good team. We've seen them do well at, at queen city. We know that they have, have some tools. So uh, the question of course, on everybody's mind though, is what's going to happen with the third spot. And if you look at the seating, Delaware's in the number three spot, Georgetown's in the four spot. Wilmington's in the fifth spot. It's hard to say even how far down the list you go. Liberty is in sixth. NC State's in seventh. I would have trouble seeing something pass there, but going down to the seventh seed is a long way. That is a long way. But it seems it seems plausible. You know, it it definitely seems like there is the potential for for a team that that seated that low to make it to nationals out of the AC because we've seen this second tier of teams really battle it out over the course of the season. Right. There hasn't been, uh, we've seen them get wins over each other. Right. Exactly what I was going to say. They, they have not, there's not been a clear team to emerge <laughs> from that group as the favorite. I, I actually would struggle to pick the team that I think would be the favorite. And, uh, you know, even with our pick last week, Delaware, it felt a little bit like we were kind of just throwing a dart because I, I think that it really comes down to who plays well on the weekend. Yeah, I think the difference, the difference between the teams is small enough that it really is going to be about a little bit about matchups, but also a lot of bit about who's playing well in a, in specific, not even just the whole weekend, but who's playing well round to round. I mean, teams vary in how well they play. Right. And it, it could just be playing well at the right time. Who can, who can handle it under the pressure or catch that little bit of luck? Uh, Delaware. We picked them because they have a good resume. They don't have a lot of bad losses on the season. 
Almost all their losses are to good teams, although they were blown out by Virginia and North Carolina in their only matchups to those teams. So I don't know. Those were all the way back in early February. Don't know if that's really indicative of, of how they'll compete, but they don't really have any bad losses. And that says a lot going into a tournament where you're going to have to play against a bunch of teams of similar strength. If you're beating the teams you need to beat and – you know, even if you're not getting a lot of upsets, that's what you need to do at a tournament like this where there's three bids. And it's worth noting that due to the format, teams that reach the final will qualify for nationals. So there's no double backdoor situation. So there's a first place bracket and a third place bracket. So that actually makes it even more likely that Virginia and UNC just cruise on into that final, battle it out for seeding, and then everybody else is left hunting for that third bid in the backdoor bracket should be pretty exciting yeah and i like our pick i I, sure it's the you know it's not exactly a sure thing but i feel good about it agreed so do i on to the men's division where there are also three bids and similarly i think it's arguable that there's a number of teams that could compete for that third bid your top seed is unc unc wilmington coming in at number two and then NC State, William and Mary, Virginia Tech, and Virginia are your next four seeds. And uh, they have a essentially the same exact format, so the teams that reach the final will qualify for nationals. Um, but I think it's a little bit, it's not as top-heavy as the women's side. So, you know, if you see, for example, a Virginia Tech versus UNC semifinal, which is plausible, that's not a done deal. I don't think that you're going to automatically write UNC into the championship game. Uh, but, I mean, of course, UNC is going to be the favorite there. I expect UNC to win this tournament. But I think that, you know, Wilmington versus NC State com- going to potentially be a competitive game. Uh, there was some weird stuff going on at, at North Carolina conferences because of weather. So a lot of those teams didn't even play against each other because the Sunday just got rained out. So they just said, all right, well, everybody just moves on and we'll just use rankings to seed the tournament. Uh, so, you know, you, you look, the favorite probably is NC State, but you've got Virginia Tech right there. They've been a good team all season. William & Mary came out of nowhere to win that conference. So what do you make of that? And they blew out Virginia Tech in the final. Does that, does William & Mary have a shot? I mean, they're, Results this year are certainly not inspiring, but if you're playing well at the right time, hey, maybe you can catch lightning in a bottle. So you've got a, a number of good teams. Every year this is a competitive tournament. Whether you like Wilmington or UNC really just comes down to which team you think is going to be peaking for the postseason. And we've seen this go back and forth and surprise us many times in the past. You know, UNC will look like the best team all year, and then boom, Wilmington wins 15-10 in regionals. Wilmington's dominant, and then boom, there's UNC coming away with the big win in the regional final. Uh, I still expect one of those two teams to walk away. I take UNC, but I think all in all, it's going to be a great tournament. It's going to be very competitive. Uh, Pool D, that battle between William & Mary and Virginia Tech, going to be very important. And then they also play crossovers, so that will add an additional layer of intrigue as they get set to seed the bracket on Sunday. Yeah, I think that you're looking at a very – it's interesting to see that AC men's and women's mirror each other in so many ways. And we both have been impressed with NC State this year, but 
Virginia, Virginia Tech are talented. William and Mary playing well at the right time, and I'm I'm still I think the reasons to be suspect of William and Mary are definitely still there. They lost to JMU at that same conference tournament. They had some uh, inauspicious losses over the course of the season, uh, but more power to them. Now they're the one one seed in their pool, and uh, maybe they can disrupt the expectations here. But NC State, Virginia, Virginia Tech. All teams I could see not only making it to nationals, but but doing something while they're there. Yeah, I mean, NC State has had a good season. There's just no way around that. You know, at Queen City, they lost to Massachusetts, Georgia, and Michigan. Those are not bad losses. They beat everybody else. At Eastern's qualifier, they beat everybody pretty handily, including William & Mary and Virginia. At Eastern's... They lost to Massachusetts big to start the tournament, but then they beat LSU and Cal Poly slow pretty easily, lost a close game to Oregon. The bad loss they took at that tournament was to Georgia Tech. Then they lost by one to Colorado, beat Florida, uh, beat, excuse me, beat Tufts by seven. So, you know, they, they belonged at that tournament. It's not like, they're not necessarily beating the teams in the top 15, but they are pretty consistently beating the teams below them. The thing, as I mentioned on last week's show, that worries me is that they are mentally seems like they're sometimes a little up and down. But they have a lot of really, they have a great youth pipeline in that team right now, and I, I just, I still feel like they're the the favorite to take that third bid. I, I like them in that matchup against a hypothetical Virginia Tech. Let's say, I just think that they have a little bit better depth and the results that that show it. All right, on we go to the Great Lakes. And we'll start with the women. Two bids for this region. Only eight teams at the tournament. Couple of clear favorites, but maybe a team that could play spoiler. Keith, tell us about it. Well, this is one of the tournaments where I think that the most intriguing thing is who's going to win the tournament. Because you've got two solid programs at the top. Well, one solid program and a team that, that came on very strong at the end of the year and now has garnered a lot of attention, which is number six in our power rankings, Notre Dame. Uh, number 13, Michigan, is the reigning champion in the Great Lakes and has won the, the region four times. And it's pretty much always been – they play in the final every year pretty much. So uh, it, it's expected that this is going to be a team to watch. But now we get to find out if this Notre Dame-Northwest Challenge was, was really how good they are or maybe a flash in the pan, uh, they are, are getting to see these two teams go against each other is, is probably going to be one of the best finals of the weekend. If, if that's what comes to pass, they played at conferences and Michigan won on double game point 10, nine, but otherwise those two teams have not seen each other this year. Yeah. And I, 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 I totally agree. I think it's going to be a great game. I think both teams are going to comfortably qualify, but I think that, you know, winning that, Winning that region obviously is great for pride reasons, but it's also going to be important for seeding and nationals. And Notre Dame, if they win the region, will actually put themselves in a really good position for seeding and nationals. They could be a pretty high seed because of how well they played at the Northwest Challenge. So it should be fun. I think the conference final shows you what to expect in the regional final. I think we'll see a similar close game. And I, I will, I will give my props to Northwestern, who we have 
ridden off before. We thought this region was all about Michigan and Notre Dame last year, and it was Northwestern who came in and uh, took took that took us down a notch uh, by uh, by by making so making making a difference coming into into the tournament. So uh, Northwestern's going to be a team that I think if there's anybody who can break in to this and and throw a wrench, it's going to be them. On the men's side, you've got just one bid, and I think a clear favorite in Michigan. But there are def- there there are three other teams in this region in Notre Dame, Purdue, and Northwestern that have a realistic shot at winning the region. I think what you've seen for Michigan this year is just a level of consistency that those other teams have not shown, and I think that the skills that they've developed, especially under Coach Tyler Kinley, who's I was talking to Tyler Kinley after Easterns, and I mentioned to him that Michigan looks night and day from the team that won Easterns a couple years ago when half the team didn't seem like it could throw a flick, and they like somehow managed to beat Pitt and grind out a an Easterns win thanks to great defense and some insanely lucky bounces. And, uh, you know, they were a good team that year. They had some really good athletes, but they did not have consistent disc skills, and it, like, constantly made you uncomfortable watching them play offense. Now, they really have much better disc skills top to bottom. And uh, I think that that's going to put them in a situation where they, they end up winning this region and probably more comfortably than a lot of people expect. That said... Could a team like Notre Dame or Purdue or Northwestern that have had some pretty solid results this season make things exciting? 100%. I mean, I mentioned Purdue as the team that I thought could be uh, the you know play spoiler. They're going to play against Michigan in pool play. Notre Dame had a great conferences and destroyed Purdue in the final. So what do you make of that? Notre Dame will be the two seed. And, uh, you know, as you expect, it's, it's two big pools of six. And they go straight to uh, straight to quarterfinals and and on to the the final and uh, just the one bid. So Michigan the favorite, but three teams in the wings that definitely have the tools to make it interesting. This this might be the most interesting we've seen the Great Lakes men's be in a in a while. Uh, certainly a deep field because we know that these teams have proven they can get notable wins all the way down to that Purdue team. Notre Dame kind of breaking in there at the last minute, but uh, I would be more concerned with this Northwestern team and Ben Spielman and the defensive chops they've shown because they have some good wins on this year. They've played some good matchups, and I don't know. I don't know if they're a good matchup for such a gritty team like Michigan, who can probably outgrind them. Uh, but definitely lining up to be a more a, a less. Less of a chalk tournament than than otherwise you'd expect from a one bid region that has consistently gone to Michigan. Yes, I'm gonna go to the New England region, and there's two bids for the women's division, and two teams at the top that are very clearly the best teams, and I think we both expect to qualify fairly easily uh, in Dartmouth and Tufts. But could any other teams shake things up, Keith? Yeah, Vermont is is it would be foolish to write them off. Let's let's put it that way. We've seen Vermont not get a bunch of upsets, but they're number eighteen in our power rankings for a reason. 
And they're a competitive team that I think has been on the rise for the past couple of years. And now that maybe some of the other teams in the region aren't as strong, I think Northeastern is having a bit of a down year. Harvard isn't quite where they used to be. And that opens the gates for Vermont to not have to battle through quite so many tough tests. So they can really throw their best at one of these top teams, especially if the format, and I'm looking at that now to see if it allows that kind of backdoor disappointment game, which it does. So we are going to have a more traditional format. Top four teams in the pools go to semis, and the loser of the finals is to drop down to play someone in a, a backdoor bracket. That's if, if that's where Vermont has their shot. Uh, I don't know if they could take down Dartmouth, but uh, and I've been pretty impressed with Tufts this year, but if, if they're going to get them, that's where. Yeah, for sure. That's always dangerous coming off the loss and into that backdoor game and having to play a team's coming off a win. Always dangerous. I've seen it many times. The team with the momentum coming off the win plays much better, especially at the start of the game, and, and a lot of times they're able to hang on and win. So, that said, I really don't expect Vermont to upset either of those two teams. Tufts, extremely impressive this year. You know, if it weren't for Dartmouth, we'd be talking a lot about how great Tufts looked. But then you've got Dartmouth, who looks like they could win a national championship. So, uh, they're sort of the, the little sister in this case, because they're playing underneath the shadow of Jacqueline Verju and the rest of that Dartmouth roster. So... Either way, I think both of those teams qualify pretty easily. I think Dartmouth wins a game that might be more exciting than many expect. I, I could see it being fairly close. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, ultimately, I think Tufts is a pretty good team, and they are maybe even a sneaky semifinals quality team. When they're playing at their best, they're, they look really good. Indeed, they do. I'm going to go to the men's New England region where there's just one bid this year. And the clear favorite is Massachusetts, who is the one seed. And if they play to their potential, will dominate at this tournament and qualify easily. That said, you do have some teams in this region that are definitely capable of beating a UMass team if the UMass stumbles. And Harvard is the two seed after beating Tufts and some other good competition at conferences. Tufts is the three seed and Brown is the four seed. Here's the thing. The format, which is just four-team pool play followed by uh, pre-quarters and then quarters, I just don't see where UMass loses. I think the format is kind to UMass because they're going to obviously just roll in pool play and then they'll probably see Brown in the semifinal. And I think that Brown, while they have some great talent on the roster. Matt Hecht is unbelievable and people need to be ready for Brown to be a really good team next year. Brown is not, they're just not deep enough to match up with UMass. And I think that UMass will get to the final fairly comfortably while Tufts and Harvard duke it out in the other semi. And I think that those factors make it more likely that UMass is going to win than they otherwise would. If it was just a play Harvard once and see if you can beat them. Uh, Look, a lot of people are going to say Harvard is no good this year, but don't forget that they have the best pure talent in college ultimate in John Stubbs on their team, and he's going to play every point. And if that team has polished up, which it appears that they have, considering that they won their conference, 
they are good enough to beat UMass if UMass doesn't play its best game. So I got to say, I said before, I'll say it again, it will not blow me away if Harvard is able to make that game competitive or even upset UMass. I think UMass will win. Perhaps they will win big, but I will not be shocked at all if it's close. I agree on, on most fronts. I, I want, I've really wanted to buy at different times this year into Tufts and Brown. Mac Hecht, like you said, he's such an engaging player to watch. And uh, Tufts is a great system team, and they do a lot of things right, and they have a lot of patience. It's nice to see a team with an identity on offense in particular. But you, right now you just feel like it's kind of Stubbs versus the world. That's just where he wants it to be, and I, I don't know that, that it's going to be enough to take down a team like UMass. I agree. I think if UMass plays as well as they have at points this year, I mean, they look like the best team in the country at times. So I don't think Harvard's uh, really, really thin roster is going to be able to hold up. On we go to the South Central region. Again, we will start in the women's, where there are two bids to nationals, and two very talented teams, but once again, maybe some upset potential for especially that second bid. Tell us all about it, Keith. Uh, you may see upset potential. I'm I'm not sure that I'm buying that. You don't buy it? No, I, I think I think Colorado and Texas are just really really good, and uh, these are teams that are. They're not looking past South Central Regionals, but they have high expectations for for nationals. True. And the rest of the region didn't hold up their end of the bargain in, in getting a third bid. And I don't think that that is going to do them any favors. Uh, Colorado has is number uh, number 14 in our power rankings, so they dropped a little bit over the course of the season. And Texas is number one. But I, I can see all the things that we liked enough about this Colorado team to put them way higher earlier in the year back when they were in the top 10 and they have won the region two years in a row they're looking at, to make it the big three here and they had an awesome awesome regionals uh, game against texas in the finals last year so these teams get up to play each other there have been upsets in the past but in most of those years it's been a three-bid region they've been a three-bid region for three straight years Without that third bid, I think you're going to see Colorado and Texas hyper-focused, and I don't think that Colorado College or Kansas, who are the typical uh, potential upset teams, are going to have the same impact that they've had in other years. Yeah, you look at Kansas. They beat Colorado College 13-11 at Centex. And Colorado, at conferences, beat Colorado College 12-6. So that gives you maybe a little bit of a sense of the relative strengths of those teams. Colorado and Texas have not played this year, so I actually think the final could be a lot of fun. Texas has maybe had the more consistent top-end results. But Colorado, you know, as you mentioned, coming off the wins in this region, they've kind of owned the region. So could they, could they own it again, or will Texas take it away? You know, if... I just think that Kansas has the potential to make that second place game compelling. They have shown results at times this year and in the past that, you know, that they're a competitive team, 
But I, I, I guess at the end of the day, I agree. I think that it's likely that the, the second place game is something along the lines of about 13-8, 13-9. Um, so I don't know that I, I certainly wouldn't bet on an upset. I, I would, if, if you want to, I'm happy to, to, to bet you, but you got to come up with the <laughs> no, odds. No, thank you. No, thank you. I, okay, I, I'm going to sit on my 50-1 to 1 bet and I'm good. Yeah, I figured Go that Texas. would come up. <laughs> um, all right. So in the men's, well, there's three bids. And how about the number one seed at this tournament? Just, just just think about think about in your head who you think it is. You're probably wrong. It's Colorado State, and that comes after Colorado State upset Colorado for the first time in maybe ever uh, at conferences, and they come into this tournament as the top seed, which is a really nice place for them to be because it means that they could potentially get through to the final without playing either Colorado or Texas. They will likely have to beat Texas A&M in the uh, semifinals. Uh, this region is pretty top-heavy this year. You know, there's like a lot of good mid-tier teams, but Texas Tech is your five seed. And Texas Tech has had a lot of wins this year, but they don't really have a lot of really high-quality wins. And I don't think that they're a team that's going to really challenge for that third bid. Uh, really, this comes down to which pick three of these four. Colorado State, Colorado, Texas, Texas A&M. Honestly... I could see it going a lot of different ways. I'm for sure taking Colorado to advance. I am pretty confident that Colorado State will advance, and I'm pretty confident that Texas will advance. I, Texas A&M for me is the is the last team out there. But that said, you know, I'm taking Colorado and Texas for sure, and I could actually see maybe Colorado State becoming the team that doesn't make it, um, losing to A&M or something like that. Uh, that said. You know, Cody Spicer for Colorado State ha- might just be the best individual player at the tournament. And he's been really, really good this season. He was great at conferences, helped them beat Colorado. And uh, on we go into a, what's a very exciting regional tournament. I, I know that you are, you are a big believer in this Colorado State team, uh, but you, you also like Texas. And, and tell, tell me a little bit about Texas and, and what you think they can do because obviously they fell out of favor in the regular season. Oh yeah. I mean, look, people are going to, every year Texas takes some lumps and the thing is that Calvin Lynn system, they just, they go to nationals. They, they go to nationals and I'm taking them to go to nationals again. Now here's the thing. When they had their awful results during the season, that mostly was because they were missing their entire starting line. Uh, you know, Dylan Larberg broke his collarbone. He's been out, but he played at conferences when they beat Texas A&M. Uh, for a while there, Joel Clutton was out. Uh, you know, and they, they, yeah, they look bad at Centex without their best five players on the field. What a shock. Uh, but with all those guys back and playing for keeps at regionals, look, Dylan Larberg's tremendous. I don't know how healthy he is. I didn't see him play at conferences personally, but I think if he's healthy enough to play at conferences, he's probably going to be feeling pretty good heading into regionals. Certainly hope he doesn't re-aggravate the injury. But uh, if he can stay healthy, Texas is just – they're totally different team with him on the field. He is such a dynamic player. He's kind of the give-it-to-me-every-other guy with crazy high energy and crazy high skills. So uh, I think we might – I would love to see if he and uh, Cody Spicer face off at some point. I don't know if Spicer would take that matchup, but we've seen Spicer take matchup from Stubbs 
to Ben Yacht to, you know, the, he, he's basically put Spicer on the other team's best player and let's take our chances. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him on Larberg uh, in, in what will probably be one of the best matchups of the tournament. Texas was a borderline, sometimes in the top 10, sometimes just outside of the top 10 team prior to Larberg's injury. Just to give the audience some sense of context as to how good we think this Texas team as a complete whole can be. So on we go to our final region. One bid for both the men's and the women's, and that's the Southeast. We'll start in the women's division. Not super exciting this year, um, but you know, can, can anybody challenge Florida, Keith? The question's in part going to be who is going to be healthy going into regionals. Uh, Georgia Tech has fallen a long way from where we thought when they were potentially the favorite coming into the tournament Crazy. or coming into the season. Uh, and a lot of that's been due to injury. They lost uh, Ashley Brown, who's a returner on the team who played with Ozone this past year and is one of their key handlers. She's been out all year uh, with a ligament tear. They've had Julia Ting go down for some period of time. They're playing without Ting, Brown, and Ollie Peterson, their star freshman, who's three of their top four players. They were playing without them at conference championships. Uh, so it was when – I, when I turned over turned around and they were basically getting blanked at half of semifinals by Georgia, it was shocking. But when shocking. you think of them playing without their top three players, three of their top four, uh, it's it becomes a little more logical and, and kind of – harkens back to what we were just saying about Texas. So if Georgia Tech can get get Ting back on the field, and uh, Peterson, I, I'm pretty sure, is going to be playing at regionals, I think they could have a shot. But right now, Florida looks like the best team. And Georgia Tech looks more like they're in line with where Georgia, Kennesaw State, and maybe even Florida State or Auburn are. Uh, it's definitely a mixed bag after that top, top team. What are the uh, if, chances that Georgia Tech pulls a Dartmouth 2016? Brings everybody back, and they just go beast mode and win. I mean, what are the chances that Jacqueline Verzue transfers <laughs> to Georgia Tech right now? And somehow I mean, makes the roster. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just about them getting healthy. Uh, Dartmouth had are one of the best players in the country get healthy. Uh, but you're right. It was, if If... This is a healthy team. I think that they could compete with Florida. And I, I think that this is a team that has depth. This is a team that's really shallow. But Florida is a team that has a really clear top five or so players. And Georgia Tech's going to have to match up with that because they might be able to win, win the matchups down the roster if they can shift their depth versus Florida's depth. But right now they've got to get through Kennesaw and Georgia and, and Georgia and an Auburn team that's pretty athletic in their pool. A lot of the drama in the region has actually been about the format, and we've seen a couple of tournaments with, with this format. Uh, so if I can digress for a moment, I'll, I'll kind of kick it over to you, and, and we'll get your thoughts on it, okay? How's okay, sounds good. Okay, so this is a 12-team tournament, which is in line with how regional size is decided. Basically, the number of teams that are exist in your region indicates how many teams will go to your regionals. So I think the cutoff is 24, and 24 gets you up from 10 to 12. And I don't know what the next cutoff is. It might be 28 gets you up to 16. Um, now, the problem with a 12-team format is it's pretty much always going to suck because you've got to play – you can't have three pools, so you've got to have two pools of six. 
And then within that, that means you have to play five pool play games prior to bracket play, which typically you want to be three rounds, especially in a one-bid region. So in the southeast where it's super hot this time of year, people didn't want to play five games in a row, and there had to be some adjustments to the format. They've added a break in the middle of the day to try and beat the heat, so to speak, during the during the uh, hot during the pool play situation on Saturday. But is in my mind now that I'm looking at this, I don't even know that there should be a 12 team regionals. Maybe they should just cut that middle ground out, and it should be you know if you got 24, 25 teams or less, you should have a 10 team regionals. And if you have more than that, you move up to 16 or whatever. Because 12 and 14 just doesn't seem like it's great, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the format manual rules all. And I can see why there's some concern. Five games to 11, it's a long time to be out in the sun. You know, first round 830, last round 430. That's I'm, I I I get it, but at the same time, you know, them's the rules, and obviously, you want to make sure you're being safe. What's the What's the temperature looking like this weekend? So the temperature on Saturday is actually not out of control. Uh, it's high seventies, but because it's near a beach town, I think we're going to see a much more humid heat index. Situation. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I think that you just got to play. And I agree. Like Mid seventies. I mean, it's not. If it was ninety five degrees, and you know, brutal middle of summer. I mean, that's a different story. But you know, we're playing games to eleven here. That's going to be a lot of times, and especially with a lot of these games are going to be epic blowouts, like eleven one. So, how many points are we really talking about? How grueling are those games going to be for the most part? For the mo- like a lot of these teams are going to play one or two competitive games at the top. So, I, I'm sorry. I, I guess I just don't really see the problem here. Uh, I understand that 12 and 14 team formats are a little weird, but they've made the rules as they are, and I think a lot of teams would rather make it to regionals and then have to play in a weird format as opposed to not be able to go. So, that's kind that, of that is That is the question, because I, I, I just... Who wants to play... Five, five games to 11 just is not cool anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's it's not great, but I guess uh, it, it, that's you know what the format manual rules all. Literally, I agree. I, I'm saying the teams, we can adjust you punch in the, the bids format and manual. you get the format. Okay, that's fair. It's something maybe you could look at in the off season because right. I generally think that games to eleven at any tournament for any reason is not great. It's just a weird. It's like oh we got two early breaks, therefore we win. So I, I don't like that aspect of it. Too short. Yeah, not a fan of games games to eleven. All right, let's turn our attention over to the men's division. Our final look here uh, at this regionals weekend, and man, is it exciting! This is just going to be an awesome tournament. I think this is one of the ones that I had circled a long time ago. Uh, I am glad to say that I did successfully pick this to be a one bid region back at the beginning of the year, and we do indeed have one bid. Here's why it's great. There are. I would say at least six, maybe seven teams at this tournament that you could you could see winning. Maybe you 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 would be surprised if some of them won, but it wouldn't be crazy. So Georgia's your one seed, Central Florida your two seed, Auburn, LSU, Florida State, Georgia Tech, South Florida, and Florida. Those are your top eight seeds. So Georgia definitely the favorite. Georgia's my pick. 
last year at this tournament looked like it was going to be super exciting, and it was because there were extra bids, at not just the one bid, but Georgia was dominant at this tournament, and they killed everybody. And I actually expect to see something similar this time around. Parker Bray is playing on another level right now. People haven't been talking about it, but Sam Batson has also been playing incredibly well the last few weeks. And their defense is good. Their offense is potent. I just think that they are the, like, a lot of the teams in the Southeast are kind of built like Georgia around one or two really, really quality players. But Georgia just does it the best. So Central Florida is kind of like a cheap, cheaper version of Georgia. And Florida is a cheaper version of both of those teams. So <laughs> the one team that I do think could make it interesting is Auburn. Because Auburn isn't built that way. And they've kind of quietly been good this season. And I just, I think that Georgia is susceptible, as we've seen this year, to just having an off game or an off half. And Auburn is the kind of team that could sneak up on you with Hank Womble rocking the trombone. The team's feeling the momentum. They got the Door of the Explorer theme song on the stereo. And suddenly they're in front. I don't think I would pick that to happen, but if there's one team that can upset Georgia, it's Auburn. And I do think that this tournament will be a lot of fun because there's going to be a lot of high-pressure games along the way. There's something about Southeast Regionals, man, over these past few years that just make it a great, exciting tournament. And it's definitely the – we've seen upsets so many years, so many great games, and I think – it's no wonder that it's one of the ones that you circle on your calendar to start the year. Even when in a year when we have a team that is a, is a prohibitive favorite, it still feels like anything can happen. And it's, it's kind of true. I think we've seen flashes from a lot of these teams. And while Georgia clearly has been the best, it's not like they are so deep and talented that you just can't imagine them losing because they're not super deep. They really do rely on a few players to do a lot for them. And the question is, is there anybody who's going to play, be able to play good enough defense on someone like Parker Bray to slow him down? I don't see that. This is an offensively sort of skewed region. You don't have a ton of really great defenders. Georgia has a couple, but a lot of these teams don't. And are players like Michael Fairley for UCF or um, Billy O'Brien for Florida, are they going to be able to play both ways late on Sunday after having to play super hard just to get there because really you can see Georgia having a pretty easy path. They have to beat Florida in pool play, which seems very possible. Then they play a 2-3 crossover pre-quarter winner in quarters, and they'll likely have either LSU or Florida State in semis. You know, they don't have to play UCF or Auburn, clearly the other two best teams in this region, in any time before the finals, unless something wacky happens. So I think that structure, again, favors the one seed. And that's another reason I like Georgia to win. Yeah, not being in the in the bracket, the like double elimination, triple elimination bracket that I think has been the format for the past couple of years definitely feels like it it favors Georgia because they're going to have some, they're going to have less, more margin for error in individual games. Well, in about 48 hours, a little over 48 hours, we are going to have 
our Nationals field set. And it's going to be really great. Hope you stick around this weekend. We're going to have live coverage for many of these tournaments. Uh, live tweeted coverage, I should say, not live video coverage this weekend. I will be down in Washington, D.C. for the AUDL game between the D.C. Breeze and the New York Empire on Saturday night. Hope you'll tune in on AUDL.TV. Uh, and uh, really going to be a, a great region regionals weekend. Keith, good luck down in Foley at, uh, at Southeast Regionals. Yeah, I'm super excited to have made it back and uh, excited to go down to the beach tomorrow and hang out at, and check out these field complexes, which has gotten a lot of hype. Uh, but it should be a good tournament. Uh, my team, oddly, because the, we are out of school now, had to have our uh, end-of-season banquet last night. Uh, so, you know, all the all the tiers and awards and elect our captains and stuff for next year. And it's kind of weird to have a tournament after that. Uh, but I think everybody feels really loose going into it because of that. So that's great. Hoping for a good weekend. That's what you want. All right. Keith Rayner and for the rest of us here at Ulti World, thanks for listening to Deep Look. And we will talk to you with a Nationals field set next week. <laughs>